Oh, it is good to be with you this morning and to be in God's Word together. So as I'm looking out, I'm just trying to get adjusted. Just if I'm looking out there and you're going, what's he doing? I'm just trying to calm my spirit. <laughs> just have to take you all in for just a minute. <laughs> so I've got to get you all in my view. So, uh, oh, mercy, Lord, is good. Um, guys, just before we begin, just want to, well, let's do this. If you would, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke chapter 19. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, so the third book there in the New Testament. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to be in verse 28, and we're going to work our way through Jesus' triumphant entry all the way down to verse 45. So we're going to work our way through there this morning. But just before we begin, I do want to just take a moment, and many of you in this room were here yesterday and spread out across Taylor's yesterday as we loved Taylor. So we served together yesterday. So if you were not here, um, there were about 600 people in red shirts filling this room, eating Chick-fil-A biscuits and preparing to serve. And so it, it was an awesome sight. It really was. It was it's powerful to see people coming out, even on a rainy day, not even sure if their project would be able to be worked on. So they just came out and you came out. And so I just want to thank you if you came out to serve and then just as a body rejoice in that. And so over 600 people went out to do projects. Um, if you haven't heard yet and you did serve, all the projects were accomplished yesterday, but two. So that's huge. So people are out working in the rain. Uh, spreading mulch and cleaning. And so even one of those projects has already been rescheduled. And so some of the things that were, if the people were assigned to those projects that didn't get worked on, they got reassigned. And so there's like this diaspora, the sending out of some to do other projects. It was awesome. And so Stephen and I got to take one group of the diaspora and do a different project. And it was awesome. So Lord did more than we could have ever expected yesterday or imagined. So I just, I don't know. I just want to say thank you and rejoice in that. That was, um, yes, man, praise the Lord. Thank you, Farah. <laughs> Amen. That's just good. And so uh, I think Pastor Josh started us off yesterday by saying we're, we're no more like Jesus than we are when we're out serving. And so when they see our love for one another and our love for our community and our people. And so they see our love for the Lord and our love uh, from the Lord. So let's just, um, as we begin this morning, because we are going to be in Luke chapter 19, we're going to walk through the triumphant entry, for today is Palm Sunday. Um, and so we begin this Passion Week, which we have here at our church. I'm just thankful our church, we get to worship all week long. Tonight we come back and worship. We'll come back Friday at noon and worship. We'll come back next Sunday rejoicing and worshiping together. So I'm thankful for our church who throughout the week we have opportunities to worship. But this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 and his triumphant entry. So let me pray for us and then we'll get right into his word. Lord, uh, we love you and we are thankful. We're thankful, Father, for your great love for us and that you would send your very own son. And today we get the opportunity to see from your word your son coming, <laughs> coming, Lord, and revealing himself as the true Messiah, the king has come who holds righteousness and salvation and comes in humility to establish peace 
in heaven and upon earth. And so we give you praise and honor and glory. So Lord, over these next few minutes, as we open your word together, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things of who you are. Lord, would you just allow us over these next few minutes just to see wondrous things of who you are? And then Lord, I pray as we see you, that you would draw our hearts to worship you, to give you the glory and the honor and the praise that you are worthy of. And so, Lord, this morning, of these next, we just have a few minutes right here, Lord, in your word together as a body of believers. But, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would draw our hearts to worship as you open our eyes to see you. So, Lord, we pray this in your name and for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Ah. So, guys, we're just going to jump right in. So, if you'll start with me there, chapter 19, verse 28, this is what it, it says. And when he had said these things, and this is Jesus, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? Good thing he told them what to say, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, he did that. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. So just a little bit, guys. Let's stop right there. And just to get a little bit of just the setup, maybe just a little bit of the understanding here, because it starts off when he had said these things. And so that just kind of points us back a little bit to put it in context, right? It just helps us to put it in context. And so the things that he had said, Jesus had just told them a parable of the 10 minas. And right before that, a very familiar story to many of us is the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man right? I love that story. I don't know if you grew up hearing that story, but I like the wee little man story. So, um, so Zacchaeus, the wee little man. So right before this, he had told them two things I think were important. One, after he had met, met, met Zacchaeus on the road and gone to his house, Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. See, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So when he said these things, it was like Jesus was reminding them, remember why I came, right? I came so that salvation may come and I came to seek and save the lost. But he says something else as well. Then knowing that they thought, those around him, that the kingdom was coming now, right? Because right after that, he says, as they heard these things, verse 11, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, he tells them the story. So he knows. First, he just told them, salvation has come to this house today. I am here to seek and save the lost but he also knew there was some confusion. 
And he didn't want the confusion to be there because they were thinking, if this is the Messiah, if this is the promised one, right, then he's bringing in the kingdom. And for many of them, that meant he was coming with power and the military might and the political to literally take back over and establish the kingdom of God on earth right then. It was coming immediately to them. And he was like, wait a minute. Just to clarify. And so he gives this story, and it's a powerful parable, a powerful story. But what the meaning is, is he's trying to show them, I will go away. I have come. Salvation is today. I will go away, and I will return. Just like he said here, the nobleman went into a far country, received for himself a kingdom, and then returned. Right? When he goes away, He's going to give to his servants minnows. That is not for fishing. I know some of you are thinking minnows, right? I know. I can't help it either, you know? But the other choice was minus. You know, I didn't know how to say it. Minnows or minus? Either way, we're going to think little fish for fishing or we're going to think mufflers for cars. So I was like, I don't have a win-win here, you know? So I'm going minas, right? I'm going minas. So um, I could be wrong. You may hear later, it's minas. I don't know. But either way, it represented three months of wages. And so the nobleman gave to his servants three months of wages and the, with the expectation that they would invest it. Literally, the meaning meaning, I'm giving you the gospel. I will go away, but you will be entrusted with the gospel, and I want you to invest it, proclaim it. So when I do return, because I will return, I will see the investment has been made. And he does, right? He comes back tenfold, fivefold, and he's pretty harsh to the one who did not invest. He hid it. But the second group of people is not the servants, but the citizens, right? The citizens, not Not good, right? Look at just real quick, 14, verse 14. This is all set up. Citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. One, when I go away, my servants, I will entrust them with the gospel to proclaim it, invest it, multiply it. So when I come, I'll see and I will bring with me reward for the citizens who said and basically rejected the nobleman, rejected Jesus. It's unfortunate. Look at the very last verse there of that parable in verse 27. But as for the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's heavy. That is weighty and sobering. What Jesus is saying is today, right? Today is the day of salvation. Today I have come to seek and save that which was lost, right? I will, I will establish that. I will establish that salvation. In fact, I'm on my way to do that. And that's what we're gonna see. I'm on my way to establish that salvation for you. I will go away and I will return. Today is the day of salvation, but there is a day of judgment. There's two peoples, one who let him reign and honor his reign, right? His authority and those who resist it 
and say, this man will not reign over me. These are the things that were said, right? Sorry, that took a minute to get those two things. These things were said, right? And then he says, he went ahead going on to Jerusalem. Let me just tell you real quick, he's been working his way to Jerusalem from Luke chapter 9, verse 51. <laughs> it says in 9:51 that literally he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He had a plan and a purpose, right? He would say it multiple times as he began his journey to Jerusalem, but it was purposeful and it was planned. He came for salvation. He came to seek and save the law. He's going to establish that salvation and his own, his way to accomplish it, right? I've set my face there. I'm on my way there. When we find him, we're literally now just two miles outside of Jerusalem. He's made his way to Jerusalem. Why? He tells us. That's good, right? Aren't we thankful? You look thankful. Okay, good. I see the faces. You're like, just tell us, Jeremy. Okay, I will. So, actually, Jesus will. Look back, just real quick. One more look back. 1831, he's telling his disciples again. And just so you know, this is the third time he's told them since he set his face to go to Jerusalem why he's going to Jerusalem. Here's what Jesus says. We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will, and this is, disciples, man, you gotta be sitting there going, I can't grasp all this. As I was preparing this, can I just tell you how thankful, how thankful I am that we live today, <laughs> that we have the full revelation of understanding? I'm just sitting here praising God because they're having to, they're, the Lord is working, but they don't see everything that we see yet, right? So here he is telling them again, he will be delivered over the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. This is why he's going to Jerusalem. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. This is why I go to Jerusalem. I have set my face there. Today is the day of salvation. I will establish it there. It will come through my suffering and my death and my resurrection. I've set my face there. So here we are. <laughs> You're like, oh man, praise the Lord. We got through one verse. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, right? When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount called Olivet. So now, like I said, he's literally about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Been working his way there, working his way there, coming to accomplish all that the prophets had said and to establish salvation. And now they're in the little town of Bethany. Now, I've never been there, but they say it's about two miles east of Jerusalem. In between Bethany and Bethpage is the Mount of Olives. So if you can picture it, the city of Jerusalem, Mount of Olives, Bethpage, Bethany, two miles, two miles. Bethany, you may remember, is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, Right? In fact, some think he stayed there. He's coming to Jerusalem, may have stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He recently raised Lazarus from the dead, right? So he is there making his way. 
He's working towards the Mount of Olives because he's got to cross over it. Once he crosses over it, he'll be able to see the city. Right now, he can't see the city, right? He's on the other side. But he's making his way. They'll make their way up the Mount and down the Mount and into the city. And what does he do? He sends two of his disciples into the village and says, go and bring to me a colt. Why? Well, because I have need of it. I love that. I have need of it. Who says that? Jesus. Jesus, who lacks nothing, says, I need it. Right? He who has created all things, right? By him, all things are created. Through him, all things are created. And for him, all things are created. But here, this Jesus says, I need it. Why? Because I have a purpose, right? He's not lacking anything. He wants to display something, right? It's finally, finally time, right? To let the peoples know who I am, right? He's been waiting. He would do amazing things. And then he would say, don't tell anyone, right? Here's this amazing thing. Don't tell anybody, right? He's trying to avoid the crowds. He's going out of his way, trying to get into private places. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. But today, today it's time. Now is time, right? To disclose who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has come to establish salvation. I am the king. I am the king. How does he do that? He goes, bring me a donkey. Not even a donkey, but a colt of a donkey, right? How would this disclose him? How would this, how would this reveal him as the Messiah and the true king? Again, glad you asked. Zechariah, right? Zechariah 9, 9. I have to speak for you. I'm sorry. I'm used to, you know, dialogue. So if I'm speaking for you, I'm sorry. I just enjoy some feedback. So I'm like, yes, that's a great question. So um, I'm glad you asked that. So <laughs> I need it. I'm like, Pharaoh will tell you and Scott, they're in my life group. I love it. I love the discourse. So I'm just making it up now. I'm just making your thoughts up for you. So I'm glad you asked. Because he takes them, and what he's saying is in Zechariah 9, and we read it. We got the privilege of reading it already this morning as we began our worship together. And what does it say in Zechariah 9, verse 9? If you want to turn there and read it, you're welcome to. That is the second to last book in the Old Testament. But here's what it says. Just as we read, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. It's like... Now it's time, right? Rejoicing. Whew, I know. Behold, your king is coming to you. How are you going to disclose? How is he going to disclose himself as the king and the Messiah? Here it is. Zechariah says, listen, prophesying back in the day, Zechariah is prophesying back in Israel after the Babylonian captivity. They don't even have a king yet. They don't have a king. And he's prophesying, looking ahead to the Messiah, and he says to Israel, behold, your king is coming. Ah, What kind of king will this king be? He will be righteous. He will be having salvation. He will be humble. 
and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. (laughs) He will be righteous. He will be right and perfect in every way. In fact, the word there is within him he is right and righteous. Righteousness is him. Within him he is righteous. There is no one righteous, no, not one, but in him is righteousness, right? He's coming having salvation. Literally, he holds it. It's been entrusted to him. He's bringing forth salvation that has been entrusted to him to deliver. And so this king comes with righteousness, salvation, and humility. This would be a contrast to any king or ruler who has ever been, right? Most kings who would enter a city would come on a steed, mighty in power, to win the battle with power and might and overcoming to get for themselves the plunder, right? This king comes with humility. What kind of humility? Mounted on a donkey. On a donkey. Why a donkey, you might ask. Glad you asked. Because a donkey, even during the days of David and Solomon, was seen as a royal animal. A donkey. Even Solomon coronated sitting on the back of a donkey. So when he comes as a donkey, one thing it says is royalty. He is the king. Number two, when a king showed up on a donkey, he came in peace. Number two, peace, right? He comes as a king to establish peace. Oh. And not even a donkey. I mean, I gotta say this. Like a donkey, a king, Solomon would be on a donkey. Our king, the Messiah king, comes on the colt of a donkey. Almost to say, how humble is our king coming in this manner? Jesus fulfilled all of these. Righteous. Jesus said, I have come to establish the law, not to demolish it or abolish it, but to fulfill it. I will fill the law. I will accomplish it all. I am righteous. Paul would say, he knew no sin, right? There was no sin within him. He was righteous. He would come having salvation, right? Son of man. Paul again, right in the church at Corinth. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And how? To give his life as a ransom for many. He who knew no sin became sin, right? Our sin laid upon him, right? His righteousness. We don't have a righteousness of our own. In fact, our our righteousness, if there's any, it's alien to us. We need another's righteousness. And he himself who is righteous laid his righteousness on us so that we might be declared righteous in God's sight. That's good 
new. So our king comes with righteousness. He comes having salvation, and he comes humble. Listen to Paul talking to church at Philippi. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus, God, we, I don't know if we can get our minds around this. He did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but then he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, not a donkey, a colt, and born in the likeness of men. He came as flesh, took on flesh, God, <laughs> I don't know if we can grab that. I don't know. You know, I need to think on that one a while. Took on flesh. And then being found in flesh in human form, he humbled himself. There's that humility, right? To do what? To become obedient to the point of death, right? And if that's not enough, the cult even death on a cross. Man. Jesus coming to fulfill all that the prophet has said. So here is the king. He's declaring it. Now, finally, here I come, right? What does he say? Rejoice, right? I'm coming with righteousness and salvation in humility, establishing peace to establish peace. Ha! His good. They brought it to Jesus. Verse 35. And then what did they do? Here's the people's response. Jesus is declaring, I am the Messiah. I am the King. I am the one who you've been waiting for. I have come and I'm coming into Jerusalem. And here, what did the people respond? They throw their cloaks onto the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. That's a good picture. <laughs> That's a good picture, right? Say, you're saying, well, why? Why is that so good? I don't, I'm glad you asked. So here's what happens, right? Here's his servants. They see him as the king. They recognize him. They're acknowledging him because a king would not ride on the bare back of an animal. So what do they do? took off their cloaks, right? They cover that animal, and then they allow him. Then what do they do? They set him up on it, almost like setting Jesus up in their hearts to say, he is the king. He has the right to sit in this place, right? And I literally lay on my coat on this animal in recognition and in honor. He's the king. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, when he begins to ride, what do they then do? and throw him on the ground in front of him so he doesn't even, as a king would, right? The kings wouldn't just trot on the ground. There would be a carpet or they would throw palm branches on the ground. So he didn't ride on the ground. He would be riding on the palm branches or on the carpet. And what did they throw? Their coats onto the ground. Literally just saying, again, we throw everything before you, lifting you up, right? Putting ourselves and everything that we are under you. Man, what a contrast. If we went back to our parable, right? What were the citizens saying? What were the citizens? They said, we do not want this man to what? Reign over us. But Jesus' disciples are saying, we want you to reign over us. You are the good king. We put ourselves down before you. You are the true king. 
wanting, desiring his reign over them. Ah, it's good. I can see it in your faces. You agree. Okay, praise the Lord. Somebody does. Throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, praise the Lord, he's getting close, right? On the way down now. He's crested the Mount of Olives. He's coming down the other side. And now there's a whole multitude of his disciples, right? They've now gathered around him, possibly because they're on the way to Passover. So there'll be pilgrims on their way. And so there was disciples in Bethany and Bethpage and possibly they have heard about him, so they've come. And so we get this picture of a great multitude and crowd, literally hemmed in on every side. They were behind him, in front of him, around him. And what are they doing? Ha, what are they doing? Whole multitude began to what? Rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice. Zechariah, rejoice greatly, right? Shout aloud. Amen. For all the mighty works they have seen. Oh, they're acknowledging, right? They're acknowledging the might and the power they have seen in Jesus. He is righteous and he has salvation and he comes in humility and he comes to establish peace, this king, and he comes with power ah, and authority. Man, what kind of power? Man, he's healed the leper. Oh, we've been going through Mark. So good. We watched Jesus do mighty work after mighty work after mighty work. He heals the lame, <laughs> causes the blind to see. Man, it makes the mute to talk, calms the sea, walks on the sea. He has power and authority even over demons to deliver and to set the man's mind right. Remember, he's all across the graveyards, and when they find him, he's sitting clothed beside Jesus in his right mind. He has the authority over the mind and the heart, <laughs> Zacchaeus. Right? Our story of Zacchaeus. Because he was greedy, taking advantage of his own people. And when Jesus came to his house that day and salvation came there, turned his heart to generosity and gave back fourfold. Turns the heart and the power and authority to raise the dead. He has the power over life and death. Man. They are praising and rejoicing. This is our king. They've thrown their cloaks before him and on the donkey. They've lifted him up. They're praising God, all the mighty works, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is just, I'm going to go quickly, but oh, I hate to miss things, but I got to because I'm looking at the time and we got to go. So let me just say this. Oh, so good. He goes back. The people are praising him with the Psalm of 118. Psalm 118, which would have been a psalm they would have been singing at Passover, right? This is one of those psalms they would have set, sung. And so it just bursts forth already. But instead of them saying, blessed is he, they change it to say, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Ah, right before that, in that same passage of 118 and verse 25 instead of 26, they start with this word, save us, O Lord, right? And the word that's left out of here, but is in the others, is Hosanna. 
He comes to save, right? So they're praising the Lord saying, he comes to save. This is our king. Oh, man. And then the second part of that, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Oh, probably referring back to just Luke chapter two, real fast. Luke chapter two, do you remember there? This is the angels talking to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus. Do you remember that? Ah, the angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. There's a sign for you. You'll find a baby for them. You'll find a colt. You'll find a colt with a savior on it. And there was, an, with the angels, a multitude, right, of the heavenly host. Here we have a multitude of the disciples and they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those in whom he is pleased. Literally now he says, peace in heaven. This king comes to establish peace between the peoples of the earth and the God of heaven. Comes to establish peace. Paul talking to us and writing to the church in Colossae says, for in him all the fullness of God Jesus was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile unto himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Ah. Oh. And then, almost like a flip, just a, a switch of contrast. We have the multitudes praising and worshiping, and then all of a sudden, it switches to the Pharisee. And what does the Pharisee say? Teacher, right? Not, not king, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop them from worshiping, right? And what does Jesus say? I tell you, if these were silent, the rocks, the stones would cry out. Oh, again, they're gonna recognize their creator, right? He created all things. They're going to worship him. There's multiple translations for that, but I just go with the most common, I guess. But I just believe, man, if, if, if God, if, they, if we didn't praise him, his creation will praise him. His creation will give him the glory he is due. If you want to see that, Psalm 148, it's just the creation praising him. Everything giving him the honor he is due. And then it says, lastly, in 41, Jesus then wept over the city. Finally, Jesus looks off and now he can see the city. Coming down the hill, he sees it. And almost like bursting forth. It's not like a whimper. It's not a whimper. It's literally bursting out of him. He begins weeping on behalf of the city. He sees ahead of him. He says basically, oh man, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that would made for peace. If you would have known what would have made for peace, but you haven't. They're like the citizens. They will not have him reign over them, right? And so then he prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, it would be destroyed. Literally run into the ground. And he finishes with this. There will not be one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus Right? Coming into the city. <laughs> he comes as the king, right? He comes as the king, righteous, having salvation, humble on a donkey, in power, 
compassion even, weeping, weeping over the city. If you would have known what would have brought you peace. Jesus says, there is a day coming, right? I will go away and I will return. But today, this day is the day of salvation, right? This day is the day of salvation. Isaiah said it like this, Jesus, about Jesus prophesying for him. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrow, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all have gone astray. We've all turned at his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He came to establish peace. He came with salvation and righteousness, humble, riding on a donkey. 